Tasmania Talks with Mike O'Loughlin, weekday mornings from 9. Now, we last spoke with uh, Premier Peter Gutman about six weeks ago during our first show back for 2022. Certainly a lot has happened in that time. Changes to COVID restrictions, the state of the state address, a couple of resignations. I heard rumours there's a couple more possibly and a cabinet reshuffle. So quite a bit to catch up on with the Premier this morning. We're grateful he's been able to make some time for us today. Premier Peter Gutman joins me live now. Good morning to you. Mike, good morning to you and all of your listeners. And a pretty eventful six weeks since we, we last spoke. How's everyone coping with the reshuffle? Oh, very well, thank you. Um, in terms of the reshuffle, as I said, yeah, unfortunately we had uh, two good ministers that uh, have stepped out and I've got two good uh, new ministers that have stepped in. And so we just get on with business, Mike. It's as simple as that. Uh, let's start by touching on your main state of the state announcements. To, first of all, maybe the land tax relief for property investors. This has the potential to put downward pressure on rent, but as we spoke with Tascost the week of the announcement, how exactly will this be passed on to renters? Well, obviously land tax is one of the key building blocks that's going to make up um, the cost of rent. Um, It's a cost that uh, property investors, landlords have to pay, and therefore when setting rents, uh, it plays a part in that. Now, the announcement that we made in terms of $220 million worth of uh, tax relief across the next four years you know, will benefit 70,000 land tax payers. Uh, importantly, there will be around 12,000 land tax uh, payers that no longer will need to pay land tax and therefore that won't be part of their cost base. Um, you know, in terms of downward pressure, and this, I guess uh, the best way to explain this is if I was increasing taxes on investment properties and rental properties, uh, then I'd be putting upward pressure on rents. By reducing the cost base, uh, it goes without saying that that uh, actually fact- is factored into rents moving forward and therefore uh, downward pressure exists in terms of the, um, the rental outcomes. Now, the challenge that we've got is obviously the property values continue to rise um, mm. you know, for those that own property. And I'd make this point uh, that in Tasmania, we have the highest per capita uh, home ownership um, uh, outcomes of any state or territory. I think that's uh, the case, certainly every state. And so we've got a lot of Tasmanians that own homes um, that are seeing an uplift, uh, but unfortunately, in terms of rental properties, those increased prices are being passed yeah. on. And on so, ta- I know Premier Tascos also had concerns about whether land tax relief was the best use of that $220 million and that this money could have had a much bigger cost of living impact for Tasmanians if it was used to fund energy efficient upgrades in private rentals and for homeowners on low incomes rather than a, a necessary tax cut for people who own more than one property. Well, I'd make the point that uh, in many cases, and uh, it's not rich people that provide a lot of the rental properties that we have. You know, there are a lot of uh, Aussie battlers out there, mums and dads that um, have, uh, have invested into rental properties um, to, you know, uh, ensure that you know they've got um, some options in terms of their own future, but importantly, you know to help uh, out in terms of uh, the rental situation and the supply of rental properties. But in terms of um, uh, the tax cut that we provided to property owners, as I've said, um, you know one of the key building blocks of setting rents are the costs that go into owning those rental properties and. Yeah, we've gone straight to one of the first base um, uh, blocks in the foundation and that's land tax and provided that relief. And as I've said, yeah, I believe that that'll put uh, some downward pressure on uh, rent increases into the future. 
Uh, and the point that I'd make again is that if we were increasing those taxes, um, you know, people would be arguing that we'd be pushing rents up. Mm. So I think the argument that we've made stands. Uh, importantly, what we want to do is also encourage more people to invest in uh, this type of investment property. You know, the more that we can influence supply, uh, the better it's going to be in terms of the provision of houses over the longer term, Mike. Well, you've put regarding housing, you've uh, certainly pleased to hear the plans for 10,000 new homes in 10 years. But considering we've already got product and staff shortages, realistically, is this an achievable goal? I mean, what would be a plan in the meantime? Because we still have those 4,500 families waiting on the social housing wait list. And the wait time, well, that's still over a year. Well, one of the key things that we've done over the last <coughs> two years in terms of the response to COVID was that there was a lot of stimulus provided to the property market. The Home Builder Scheme that we um, yeah. uh, partnered with the federal government, whereby it wasn't just people that were seeking to get into their first home, but people that actually owned or were living in a property at the moment could actually build a second one. And what we've seen is unprecedented uh, in, increase in the number of development applications that have been approved that have gone through council. I want to thank councils for that. Uh, but importantly, we're building more properties uh, than we've ever built before in Tasmania. Yeah, and really that is the best way to solve a uh, demand issue is to increase the supply side. And so you know, at the moment, uh, our building sector is very busy, uh, but they're building more houses than they ever have done before. And, you know, and that ultimately... Uh, will provide more supply, uh, more properties in the market. Uh, that in itself will provide a, a dampening impact on uh, rental prices moving forward, but importantly, provide more properties for people to move into. Now, in terms of the longer-term uh, plan that I announced the other day where we're going to establish Housing Tasmania as uh, its own statutory authority, uh, it'll have a large balance sheet, uh, the capacity to, in, to invest and borrow uh, and build more houses, and we've set a target of an additional 6,500 properties on top of the 3,500 that we're building at the moment, so 10,000 properties by 2032. You know, what we can see realistically occurring in future years is at the moment we've brought a lot of demand forward into the marketplace and if you ask anybody that's trying to get a plumber or a builder, mm. a carpenter at the moment, you know, they are as scarce as hen's teeth. Um, uh, the reason being that everybody's busy building all of these new houses, but that demand that's been brought for, has been brought forward in a lot of cases, and so our plan will not only build uh, an additional six and a half thousand properties, but it's going to fill the gap as well for the construction sector as we move forward and as this peak starts to, um, to come off. If I if I can, Tascos has always has also I should say proposed an urgent review of the Residential Tenancy Act and urgent action to bring more private rental stock into the market by restricting the number of entire homes that can be listed for short stay accommodation. Is this something you're considering? Well, that's already available, Mike, um, and I've made that point ad nauseum for the last couple of years. Local government uh, actually has the power to do that right now. And so if, they, if any local government uh, feels that they have uh, pre pressures that are occurring within their municipality, um, they can uh, implement um, changes themselves. In fact, Hobart have done it with Battery Point. Mm. Uh, they limit the number of um, approvals that are given for um, visitor accommodation in that particular suburb at the moment. And that, that mechanism is available. And so... You know, it surprises me that TASCOS have raised that because, as I've said, the, uh, the mechanism already exists. 
Now, the other major announcement was the proposed $750 million stadium, but this plan certainly, um, as uh, football lovers um, think it's a great idea, but it certainly had quite a bit of a backlash from the community who believe we have more pressing issues needed to be addressed, like housing crisis, which you've touched on, also the health crisis, ambulance ramping and bed block. What are your thoughts there? Well, two key points. Firstly, in terms of what we're doing in those other key areas, um, a $1.5 billion program to build uh, more houses. You know, the biggest, most ambitious uh, housing program that any state government has ever uh, uh, announced. And I'm very proud of that. And I think that um, in the first instance, that uh, was important that we did that and we took those steps. And there's been very strong support for that. Uh, the other part, other issue that I announced, or the other matter that I announced in the uh, state of the state, was also our plan for hospitals and for mm. medical services around the state, yeah, including you know, in the north of the state, significant investment into the uh, LGH precinct um, to provide a 10-year um, vision and plan uh, in terms of what we're going to do in respect of um, health services here in the north. Likewise, additional investment into the Northwest Regional Hospital. Um, you know, the ongoing investment that we're seeing in the Mersey and the master plan uh, that's under current construction uh, in terms of the Royal Hobart Hospital and Stage 2. You know, in total, um, again, around $1.5 billion worth of investment over 10 years into um, our hospital and health infrastructure to ensure that we've got uh, the necessary access for people that are looking for um, mm. health services. Um, I then also announced the stadium at $750 million, or up to $750 million, I, largely because I believe that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. But importantly, you know, sport <laughs> will actually impact on the longer-term uh, social and health outcomes that we have in the state. Now, if we've got a healthier society, you know, in decades to come, we'll have less people wanting or needing to access our health services. And so in terms of the stadium, um, it provides both an opportunity for Tasmania uh, to underpin and support uh, an AFL licence, but importantly also provides opportunities for a range of other sports and entertainment options. Um, you know, if a stadium's built, it'll be built with mm. retractable seating, so that A-League and uh, any sports that require rectangular ground can also use the stadium. Importantly, uh, it provides for an entertainment venue, which is something that Tasmania doesn't have in terms of that size or scale. And we don't see the big travelling shows or international acts or artists come to Tasmania, mainly because many of them come on the, the cusp of our either spring or autumn periods mm. when the weather's uh, not suitable and all we can offer is outdoor events. And so I think both in terms of sport, um, the social outcomes and, uh, and in terms of what it can do for the arts and entertainment, but also the health, longer-term health outcomes that we can see yeah. and we will see if we've got a more engaged population uh, in being healthy and active. And I know Premier State Labor would like to see a notice of motion refer the Government Stadium's Tasmania Bill introduced last year to an oversight committee which would be chaired, I think, by an independent MLC to give you the chance to explain how the new stadium will be delivered, allow appropriate well, scrutiny actually, of the stadiums, well, etc., and uh, the best interest of Tasmania, some of which you've touched on. Well, Mike, um, and I'd make the point that um, what that bill does... And I announced this, that in the election campaign, what that bill does is simply provides an overarching management structure for the, for the larger stadiums that we have. It looks at UTAS, um, Oval, uh, the Silverdome, mm. the My State Bank Arena, uh, 
formerly the Derwent Entertainment Centre uh, and Blunston Arena because those assets, uh, apart from the Silver Dome and now My State Bank Arena, which was previously owned by uh, Glenorchy City Council, uh, those assets are largely owned and operated by uh, local government. And I think you know, the argument can very strongly be made that in terms of Launceston, for example, um, the Launceston City Council have done a very good job over a long period of time providing what is a regional but also a statewide asset, and mm-hmm. they manage that on their balance sheet. Now, what we proposed in that stadiums bill is that those assets would be transferred into Stadiums Tasmania and that there'd be an overarching management structure put in place to ensure that the longer-term investment that's required, the, long, the strategic management that's required of those assets can be, uh, can be undertaken rather than them being looked at by individual councils around the state. And so we actually have a strategic plan for stadiums. Um, Northwest Coast, for example, as well, the Dial Range, mm. uh, which is a, uh, a ground that, um, that has been built to... Uh, in terms of surface to uh, AFL standards, uh, but it needs investment in facilities as well. And so, the stadiums bill, uh, you know, set the politics aside. And I think that's exactly what um, Mr. Willie is doing in terms of bringing that forward on the basis that that was supported um, in the lower house uh, by all members of parliament. Uh, I think it's just simply politics that um, that he wants to play with uh, what is a pretty sensible and reasonable idea. If we can change the tack and talk fuel prices, because I, I know we've got a limited time, but we had Attorney General Elise Archer on the show with that on Thursday of last week. She assured us there wasn't evidence of Tasmanian fuel retailers price gouging, which is interesting considering the huge bump in prices we saw ahead of the long weekend. Um, and, and realistically, prices going up before the tanker even comes in to fill um, the petrol you know, station as such. Do you think we're seeing price gouging, Premier? Look, that's a very interesting point, Mike. Um, to date, there's no broad evidence of price gouging. Um, you know, it is, I know that... Uh, you know, many of your listeners um, also, well, that's not the case. You know, I've seen prices increase. Um, but one of the things that we've done to manage that and to provide options is to ensure that we've got that fuel app available whereby people can shop around and make certain that they buy fuel at the best price You know, if their local survey does, um, does increase prices. Uh, yesterday, I understand that you know, there was up to a 17-cent differential um, across a range of mm. service stations uh, here in the north of the state. Um, across Launceston uh, especially. Now, in terms of what's occurring, though, uh, regarding the increase in fuel prices, this is being driven by Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Um, it's as simple as that and the pressure on the uh, world oil supplies, supplies. Now, I wrote last Thursday, I think it was, to the Prime Minister uh, to ask him to consider what he might be able to do with the fuel excise that's charged, which is around forty-four cents uh, a litre, that's applied. As Would he eliminate that altogether, or because or, I know there's four point four cents GST on top of that as well? Were you hoping that he might remove that for a time being, or even I mean, it'd be difficult to remove it forever, considering where the money's supposed to go to. But would you hope? I mean, he's he's putting a budget together, and I guess that'll be next month anyway, before we actually get the budget. So it's a long time for people to wait, isn't it? Look, it is. Um, and again, that's a matter for the Prime Minister. Um, I think, though, that in terms of um, the view that I've taken as a Premier, I noted that on Friday, I think the South Australian Premier said some things about it, and then, as did the New South Wales Premier as well as other um, state leaders. Look, it's a, it's a mechanism that's available to the federal government right now. Um, 
that they could reach in. What I requested was that obviously they consider waiving it or waiving a part of it. Um, you know, if it's uh, around 44 cents per litre that's being charged, um, yeah, that is an immediate reduction that could be provided by the federal government. But again, uh, one would hope uh, that what we're seeing in terms of the instability that's occurring at a global scale as a result of what's occurred in the Ukraine, um, that that is going to be sorted out, um, yeah, one would hope, sooner rather than later, um, without catastrophe. Now, uh, this could be, this may only need to be a short-term fix by the federal government. Um, yeah, I would hope that that's the case, and it's a lever that they have available, and I'd call on them to use it. Mm, good. I think it's necessary. I know Tara from Devonport texted us and she said, look, I've been using the fuel check app since it came out, but I was driving home from Hobart within the 10 minutes from when I checked the fuel price to when I arrived at the petrol station. The price of fuel had gone up five cents. So it is interesting. But I want to move on to COVID. Um, if we go through that uh, situation with the masks now, because being a new strain of COVID being detected on the mainland, cases are up around 1,000 per day. Um, is this really the right time to be ditching masks, Premier? Well, Dr Veach on Friday, the COVID presser that we ran, you know, explained the public health advice very clearly. Yeah, what we're seeing, whilst uh, cases you know, are bouncing around a little bit at the moment, um, uh, well, what uh, is occurring is that the impacts on our health system uh, and the impacts on individuals uh, needing to uh, enter our health system are very, very low. In fact, we've got the lowest uh, number of um, hospitalisations across the country out of all of the states, in fact even including I think Western Australia which has recently only uh, recently opened its borders and so whilst case numbers are increasing and as I say bouncing around a little bit you know, we're not seeing that uh, translate into hospitalisations or serious illness and on that basis you know, Dr Veach felt that it was the time was right to remove masks. Um, yeah, again, he removed them, though, and I'd make this point. Um, uh, the mandate has come off, uh, but you know, it's recommended that if you want to still wear a mask or you can't socially distance it, you do so. Mm. And you know, I think that's pretty sage advice, and I think you know, uh, many Tasmanians will uh, adopt that uh, advice. I've seen been around the city this morning here in Launceston and uh, into a coffee shop and uh, some mm. people were wearing masks, others weren't. Um, but the timing of this is predicated upon the impact that we're seeing on people and the need for hospitalisation. And at the moment, uh, this illness continues to manifest as a very, very mild disease. And I know you're going to be announcing uh, the winter flu and COVID plan this week. Is there anything you can tell us about that today? Well, in terms of flu... Um, yeah, we expect that you know, this will be a pretty solid flu season. Uh, and I'd make this point, you know, we've had the last two years virtually without any flu at all. Uh, but, you know, flu was um, uh, uh, rampant across the Northern Hemisphere uh, during their winter, and we expect that we'll see flu in Tasmania this year. But again, you know, the simple steps that um, the people can take, make sure that you wash your hands, uh, make sure that you know, if you're um, in a position where you, know, you can't socially distance, um, that you wear a mask, um, you know, that you be mindful of, um, of the need to stay home if you're unwell. And you know, I'd come back to that point um, because I think the last two years have demonstrated, you know, 
uh, prior to COVID, uh, many of us would wake up in the morning, not feel well, maybe have a runny nose or a cough, and we would still go to work um, because that's what we did. It's the way that um, you know that we were brought up. Mm. Uh, but today, you know, people need to think about that. You know, if you're unwell, don't go to work. Um, you know, don't go to school. Certainly, don't go to the pub or to that party. Uh, get a test. If it's COVID, um, stay home, follow the rules. Um, you know, if it's just the flu, stay home until um, you're a little better before you go to work. Just uh, quickly, I know we've uh, got to finish up shortly. I'm not going to make you go into it, but I was incredibly impressed to see you speak up and share that you were a victim of child sexual abuse. A very brave move, Premier, and one I really do believe will help other victim survivors speak up. Mike, I've... Um I've been very surprised by the number of people that have reached out um, mm. since that press conference on Friday. Um, number of people that um, that indicated to me that you know they've been in a similar situation, similar circumstances, and like me, uh, 40 years ago, just walked past. Uh, you know, I think that there'll be, and I hope um, over the weekend that there were a lot of conversations at dining room tables with parents and young children, um, especially teenagers, you know, about these matters um, because. Uh, if we talk about these things, if we bring them out into the light, um, then it helps everyone. It does. And to finish up, it's Harmony Day this uh, or Harmony Day week this week, Premier. Look, it is, and you know we have a fantastic multicultural community. Um, you know, I, I wasn't able on Sunday to go to the launch of um, Harmony Day, but I know that uh, Nick Street uh, ably represented me here in Civic Square. And I just want to say, isn't it fantastic you know, that we have a community that is, um, is accepting of our diversity, mm. importantly, uh, welcoming of uh, people from you know, other countries and other cultures? You know, and long may that continue. And indeed, oh, look, I've just got one quick question. I promise I'll be quick. Patrick from Trevallon called to ask the Premier, what's the government doing about the horrendous state of taxi services in Tasmania, particularly in the north, which is impacting vulnerable Tasmanians? The deregulation we're seeing due to Uber, etc., is causing availability issues, not just with disability taxis, but with all kinds. Sorry to throw that last one on you, but it just came through. Well, look, all I'd say is that um, uh, with Uber and other ride-sharing um, uh, platforms, uh, there are now more options for people than what there were before. Um, in terms of you know, taxis, uh, you know, I think part of the challenge that we've got is, and I know that many taxi drivers think that the competition that's there is very problematic for them, but for the consumer, more broadly, uh, there are now more options in terms of um, being able to get a ride uh, on a range of platforms, including taxis, than what there ever has been before. Premier, it's uh, been a pleasure to speak with you again. I do thank you for your time, and I hope we can have a chat in the near future, sooner than later. Uh, Mike, I'm sure we will. Take care. Good to talk to you. Thanks so much indeed. Premier Peter Gutwin, Premier of Tasmania with Tasmania Talks. Feel free to comment as per usual, 1300-001012. Or, of course, you can text. Lots of those coming in, 0448301012. Tasmania Talks with Mike O'Loughlin, weekday mornings from 9.